I really want it to be 80s newscaster music. This show is not allied with any sect, denomination, political entity, organization, or institution. Does not engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any cause. Neither do we. We are not affiliated with Al-Anon or any other 12-step program. The opinions expressed here are strictly of the person who gave them. Please take what you like and leave the rest. Hi, I'm Corey. Hi, Corey. Hi, I'm Claire. Hi, Claire. And, and this, this is, is Crosstalk. Oh, man. Wow. How are you doing? We're well, back again. We're back again. Um, it's very exciting. I'm going to struggle to get current, so I'm going to... I'm going to need you to get current first for me so that I can be inspired by your currency. <laughs> it's a very high, um, what are those terms that you know because you're a businessman? A high bar? It's exchange rate? I don't know. Oh, currency's high. currency thing. It's up there. <laughs> you're worth twice as many, like two Claire's to a pound. Two to two to a, two to a Corey. Two Claire's to a Corey. Two Claire's to a Corey today. That's the exchange rate. Yeah. If you're if you're checking yeah. the Nasdaq, uh, that's the so exchange if you've rate. Got, if you've got Claire currency, you're good to go. You should go to Corey Land. And you you, get, it's like Guadalajara it's down here. <laughs> no offense to our listeners in Guadalajara, but you can your dollar goes a long way in Guadalajara. The U.S. dollar does, yeah. yeah. This is just facts. This is not a feeling no. thing. This is just those are just that's just knowledge based decision making. If you're traveling, my uh, this is nothing to do with my getting current. So I'm gonna do that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you know, here's the deal, Corey. Wow, life is a paradox, mystery, and ah, let me tell you, um. So I have this job that I'm doing without my business partner because my business partner's on paternity leave, which is great. And I'm very happy for him. And um, I like quoted this job and bid this job and it was really uncomfortable because I like padded things. I normally don't. I was like 450 for that. No, 650. And then I was like five days of work no seven days of work and i was like this no that and then um you know we reviewed we reviewed it together because we look at a a lot of uh, most of the bids together before they go out and he was like i don't know this feels kind of high i was like it feels kind of high to me too but like i adjusted a couple things and then we brought it back down a little bit and uh you know they were like yeah great they accepted this what i would was probably you know it was probably like a 20 percent increase on what would normally quote uh, which is really cool and then getting done a day early because i budgeted the time that way i gave myself extra time and it has been one of the easiest jobs i've ever done and very laborious um but i also like brought in um a really good friend and also somebody who's like just an excellent laborer excellent worker like shows up like we're both from iowa so we like have like the iowa like fucking die hard like we're working and getting it done and like yes um you know and, like nobody's like whining about anything and um and the client's been a delight just like not even hardly there like 
her pups like got into the house yesterday and she was like, I'm so sorry. I didn't know I'm out. I'm so, so sorry. And I was like, it's totally fine. Just wanted you to know they were in here and like, just so you know, and it's just been so easy. And I think it's been so easy because I am showing up differently. Right. I was really uncomfortable about it. You and I actually talked about it. I was really uncomfortable before the job strikes. I was just like getting, so, you know, it's like, are you uncomfortable when things are going well? You probably need fucking Al-Anon. Um, and I was uncomfortable that they were going so well, but they've gone so well. And I'm like, oh, wait a minute. This can be my normal. My normal could be that things go well. I show up as a mature adult that like makes decisions that work for me. Like I let my higher power show up and get my needs met. I don't believe it's my job to get my needs met. I believe it's my higher power's job to get my needs met. I just need to know what my needs are. That's my get current. I'm just good. I'm just like, you know, I'm like, mm, this is what it could, this is what the new Claire's business life could look like. It doesn't have to be like scarcity and like, you know, it can be like really abundant. It's, it, I think, is, is to be really abundant. I think that's what my higher power wants for me, you know? Mm. That's my inspiration. Uh, I mean, <laughs> normally, normally this is where I come up. Well, you're normally second, and then I come up with the brilliant transition because, you know, that's my job. And uh, it turns out today right. we're going to talk about Tradition 7, basically, mm -hmm. for being fully self-supporting. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that sounds like you really are on topic. So I just want to say that. My, my current is work-related as well. You know, a lot of people have a lot of feelings about how I work. And uh, they come up a lot. And um, so it came up again. I'm consulting for this mm. business. And a person was brought on in a sort of half-capacity for communication, vagueness, blah, blah, blah. And my previous iteration of how I showed up, which was, I felt encouraged, which was more authoritative than this person was comfortable with because they were sort of taking a more authoritative position, which was not particularly communicated to me, um, showed up with the, the my client sort of calling and saying, you know, this person felt a little undermined in this call. And it was fascinating because it's a pattern that happens in my work situation because I am an incredibly uh, strong and aggressive person at work. I just am. And I'm also not, a, Claire and I, you and I share this a lot. I don't really want to chit chat a whole lot at work. I don't really want to massage egos. I don't really, this is work. We're not best friends. I really like you, person I'm working with, and I want to have a nice relationship, but I really don't, I really don't care what's going on. It, I don't I don't care. I have compassion and sympathy. But whatever your personal stuff is, is your business. I guess the Al-Anon in me is like, it's none of my business. If you have a relationship that's on the rocks or you have this or that. And so I'm supposed to show up differently to accommodate that. I just, it's none of my business. And therefore it's not, I feel like it's none of my business to show up differently. Anyway, so this person, I guess, had a conversation with this other person and I was, you know, I had my my initial sense of shame and my initial sense of like, I'm bad. I did something wrong. And my reactions of like, well, this person is totally unqualified anyway. And this person shouldn't be in this position anyway. And like, blah, 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 all that bullshit. And it actually took me out of my evening a little bit when it was one of my evenings with these kids that I'm really close to. And I, I only have a couple evenings left before I move. So I felt a little bummed about it. Didn't do anything, didn't say anything, went into the meeting. And I, I made notes in advance and I was like, I'm going to ask the person, the 
the actual client, you know, do you want, I was like, how did, how did they feel undermined? Tell me, you know, just be inquisitive. And what ways did I, did they feel undermined and this and that and the other. And then I literally wrote down, do you want feedback? Like not even to just tell them what I wanted to say, because let's face it, I know what they're doing right and wrong and, and how the business could run smoothly. But, um, you know, asked them if they wanted feedback and they said yes. And I was like, well, here's how it really went. You know, actually, I sat quietly on this call for 30 minutes while these two people argued. And then I got out a whiteboard and was like, dude, let's work through this. And then I put my opinions. For anyway, point being, I came to this. I'm coming more and more to this realization that this thing that doesn't always work for people is actually the thing that also makes me very successful in many ways. And I'm trying to figure out how to soften it enough, but not change who I am. Because I'm starting to come to this realization that is, this is who I am. Some people really like it. Some people don't like it. I, it's none of my business what other people think. Now, I don't want it to limit my ability to achieve my goals. And so the ways in which it might get in my way is my side of the street. But I did an audit of that. I'm like, I didn't undermine that person. That person is starting a new position. They're getting vague direction from a very vague directionless manager. They're feeling insecure about their place in the position. I'm a consultant. I don't work for the company. If they're threatened by me, I didn't threaten them. End of story. And um, so I'm not taking that on. That particular one I'm not taking on. And, um, you know, I asked for some other feedback from some other people. And I was like, okay, one of those, maybe I didn't need to say this, or maybe I could soften this or that. But, you know, I was being asked to kind of soften my tone with this person or like be more polite, like, chatty I, I it's not chatty but like be more like thanks so much really great work like like stuff like that and i just i'm not that kind of person but i'm i'm also a consultant that's what i'm being paid to do is show up the way my client asks me to so i'm like okay here you go next meeting how would you like to set the agenda you know i'm not gonna take over i'm not gonna be that was previously what i was there to do and no one told me how to change but now i've gotten the direction so i'm gonna do next indicated action but anyway the point is the recovery for me was a being inquisitive and b really not taking on other people's shit anymore. I'm really sick of everybody else's shit uh, making me feel bad about myself, which is my job. That's my job. Um, anyway, so seeing my own side of the street. However, I do this work so that I can be fully self-sustaining, declining <laughs> outside contributions. And uh, I am. And you know what, Claire? That's our topic today. No. Yes. I just thought you were going to talk for another hour. Listen, sometimes you go on and I have nothing to say. So the, the folks at home are desperate for more Corey, and so I'm giving it to them. Um, but we have a guest today, and her name is Devana. Hi, Devana. Hi. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you. I just, I'll try not to blow your ears out again with my... Oh, I'll laughter. laugh off to this... I'll offside laugh. Ha ha! Oh. And- <laughs> Claire's oh, I, laughter I, is one of the best things about them, and it's also the worst thing about having a podcast because it's so loud. Oh my but goodness! It's, oh my it's goodness! It's lovely. Um, well, welcome, welcome. You're in, so you're, you're in good company. Oh yeah, Devon is a good laughter one. too. Yeah, 
Well, Devon is a fellow that I've been calling for a couple of years and really enjoyed hearing. I think I've heard you in rooms for years and years probably, but I'm so excited that you joined us today. 45 years. Yeah, when we were 12. I was like, damn, you look so good. I was like, for real? Also, Alamon years are like dog years. It's like 10 years for every year. You know what? And it, it is 10 years. It is yeah, yeah, yeah. So probably so, that about that long. So. I mean, you're a little longer than me. Um, well, we're gonna we're gonna have you lead on this topic, and then we're gonna cross talk it. Ooh, ooh, ooh. I've How would wanted. you like your time for your ten ten minute lead in? Five, three, and two. Amazing. Ooh. Are you ready? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bring okay. it. I'm not going to be cordial or nice or try and uh, maintain your feelings. I'm just going to get right to it, you know, because oh, in great. honor of, of That's how we do it. Style. <laughs> That's how we do it here. Okay, five, three, two, you said. Okay, whenever you're ready. Okay, hi. My name is Devana. Grateful, grateful member of this fellowship, and I'm really honored to be here today. Uh... Gosh, just to, it, there's so many victories just in the two things that have already happened. Someone reaching out, responding and saying yes. It's already like in, in the Al-Anon win situation. Uh, that wasn't always the case for me. There was times people were asking me to be of service and I could not show up. I was too much already being in the rooms. I was too, I was still in my disease. So that's when I know I, that feeling of like this effortlessness. And I love those words of you guys were talking about soften and, and easy. And, and for me also, it feels like less effort is like really this program for me. I'm going to say a little bit about what it was like. I come from addiction, dysfunction. No one was drinking in my home. And I was raised in my mother's home, but my dad was drinking, but I didn't live with him. And I didn't see him from age. He left when I was two and I didn't see him again until I was nine. And... I was two. My sister was five. I think it affected her a little bit more than me. Um, that's just my feeling on that. She is an addict, and she's been an addict since uh, she was thirteen. And but she is three years so three years sober and recovery after twenty uh, five years of using. So miracles, real miracles. And, um, but what it was like was I knew something, it was very controlled, uh, in my mom's environment. It was small and it was controlled. You couldn't open up the cabinet with her saying, what are you doing? I didn't have really many friends over. We lived on 13 acres. We lived on a property, the end of a dirt road, but we did live in a trailer home. And it was the concept that the house was going to get built. 
and that house had never, never got built. <laughs> uh, but it was always something on someone can't come over. The, ha- the house isn't ready. It's raining outside. It's too hot. Um, Mark, which is my step my stepdad at the time, he's going to have, it was always something that kept it really controlled and no one coming over. That was really hard for me. I loved people, friends. I was very social. Uh, I mean, that's such a big part of my life now. That was, I was trying to be who I was, but wasn't able to. But in any event, so by the, one of the markers in my life was at the age of nine, my mom married my stepfather, had another baby, and then asked for child support from my father. And then he came around and his environment was wild and, and, and it was no control. It it was all over the place. Uh, I felt a sense of freedom in it, but it was also, I felt also very unsafe in those conditions. And, but what the big thing that was going on between the two, I believe, ACAs, adult children of alcoholics, was that for both my mom and my father. Now, my father did drink. He always had a beer. And when he picked us up, he probably would have a couple. He never got, like, he just, yeah, he drank. And then when I was, I'm skipping to this, but when I was 16, we had a keg party. (laughs) That was the thing. And uh, he got arrested. He went out to the... uh, the corner store and to buy, I think, cigarettes and he got arrested. Uh, and that was it. He never drank again. Oh, thank you. And he never drank again. I believe it transferred to other things, but that's none of my business. So what was really, what I really felt with was this deep sense of loneliness I always felt that. I always felt like nothing was explained. It's the control was very stifling and 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 um and also my parents, my mom was 17 when she had my sister, so she was 19 when she had me and she and my dad was 23 when he had me. So it was really kids having kids and um when we started, when the, when the custody happened and we started going every other weekend to see him, it was really this sort of battle between them. It was like, your mom is this and he's this. And it was just like, I felt, well, who do you trust? Like, I have this character, this person that raised me. And, but now he's saying that she's a control freak and a lot of other words that, but anyway, and that also, that kind of felt true because I had the feeling of it, but then she would say, he's this, that, and the other and money and da, 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 da. And so I was like, who do I trust? 
really a deep sense of not trusting anybody. And my sister at that point, when I was 12 or, you know, she was deep, she was already, she was in, and there was rage and and violence uh, with her. And so I didn't trust her either. So I really came out into the world with no trust. Um, And a lot of, even though there was a lot of victim mentality, a lot of victim mentality. It was like, we are a victim of our circumstance. We know we live in this condition. We can't have what that person has. We, you know, until we get this, will we be happy? And there was a little bit of, that was the echo of my dad. I'm a victim. I've got, I'm paying child support on three different kids. I can't even buy myself a thing or, you know, it's like, so he's a victim of this. And the reason I, I, and that's just a big landscape of that. So I walked into rooms 10 years ago and Although I did a geographical, I'm from uh, Tomball, Texas. And even though I moved and I knew something was wrong, even after being in the rooms, and it still gets me, it still gets me, is that I feel like I'm a victim of circumstance, a victim of my circumstance. So I'm going to bring up tradition seven, which is every group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. And when I look at that, I look at that is we have the resources to be able to survive without outside assistance. And that is meeting one's needs by one's own efforts. And that can also be through higher power. But that really talks to me that you can meet your own need with your own effort. And you're not a victim to, to this, to, to whatever you think of this. If you want more compassion, bring that in. Fun, romance, creativity, hobbies, all these things. Money. When I used to look at Tradition 7, up until just recently, actually, I thought to me that equated money. But nowhere in that sentence does it say money. Nowhere, but that's how my mind works. Oh, money, money here, money there. You know, but it is self-supporting, full self, joy. If you want to dance, if you want to laugh more, it is, it's, it can be up to you. It is your own thing that you can support yourself. And that's been a big journey for me is one of my mentors, well, my main mentor, she says, if you're bored, you're boring. (laughs) You know, that's an outside thing. But if that, if you don't, if you're feeling that you are lacking, you can create that. And and I think about the serenity prayer. And I'm going to close with this. Is God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. And that's what I really believe, so thank you. 
Yeah, we're all applauding. Um, wow, that was really that beautiful. That was wonderful and perfect timing. Perfect timing. Yeah. Right on time. You hit your mark. <laughs> um, <laughs> I love that you and I was. You really summed it up, but you were really going there. And and it's true. I think people think of tradition seven as a as a money thing. And, it, and you're right, it can be self-sustaining in any capacity um, that you want. And I think most of us, I mean, my parents definitely felt they were a victim. I married someone who felt they were a victim. Mm -hmm. um, and I wanted to solve that victimhood. But the reality is it's, it's you know, we can give generate anything for ourselves, really. And it's interesting because this is one where I feel, and I want to talk to you, ask you about this. This is one where I feel there is a lot of... Um, responsibility on the self as opposed to the higher power i mean i guess it could be praying for joy mm -hmm. or asking mm -hmm. your higher power for joy as opposed to generating joy but i'm curious how you think about your role in tradition yes. seven versus higher power I, i'm glad you brought that up because it's something i thought about when i was meditating on this and i i also felt like it's also my responsibility if i don't have a relationship to my higher power and so where that comes in, because people go, I don't know, I don't know, I have no spiritual connection. Well, are you, are you talking to your higher power? Are you turning it over? Are you letting go, letting God? You know, are you so, I guess it is up to me to have a relationship and then the things I'm turning over to, yeah, to turn them over. which. Probably everything. <laughs> Claire, how do you think about it? Uh, I mean, so similarly, and I was just not, I was just like head bobbing. I was just like, <laughs> oh, yes, 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 yes. Yeah, it's really interesting. Like, um, for for a while, I don't know, at least like a few years now. But I, too, for a long time thought, oh, yeah, like, because it's also seven tradition is associated with the basket being passed, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like, yeah. that's really there. Like, the, the mm -hmm. physical representation, the visual, visual physical representation, representation of what the seventh tradition is. And that happens at every meeting. We don't talk about every tradition at every meeting. True. But you do at every single meeting here about the seventh tradition at mm -hmm. the time of which people – we are – being self-supporting, paying our rent, really. But yeah. it's like all of the service positions are about the seventh tradition mm -hmm. is how I think about it in a program space, right? Like, I don't know, for me, what any kind of concepts of service or traditions or my steps, like I love like applying everything to, to the rooms first, to like program first, to a meeting first, because it's such a little microcosm of like mm -hmm. what the real world is. And then I take that outside of that. So it's like, oh yeah, like all of the service positions is the group being fully self-supporting, right? Like we're not like, we don't have somebody come in and like cater our brunch, you know, like people bring in food, you know, like that are in the meeting. Like we don't have like some, we're not like using somebody to come in and time for us. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, why isn't there anybody timing for us? How are we going to know when our time is up? You know, like, no, no, like we are doing it. Like we show up and we do it. And in, in exactly, you know, in, in the same way of what you were saying, it's like everything in my life, I get to be fully self-supporting, declining, declining outside contributions. I think in the sense of like 
when I check that, I'm like, am I doing this? Am I seeking this thing from a place of victimhood? Am I seeking this thing from a place of like, I am, need to get mine or I, somebody has it better than me or like, why don't, when's mine going to come? Like, um, because I can ask for help. There's such a difference between like asking for help and being self-supporting, which is mm. really, has been really difficult for me to like delineate, you know, because, because I also wasn't taught to ask for help at all, which is hilarious, but I have a really s- similar, it's, it's so fascinating. We had a farm growing up and, um, the original house on the farm, like the guy that was renting it, we didn't live on the farm. We had a farm, like a recreational farm, like an hour outside of Des Moines where I grew up. And this is about this tradition, I promise. And so, <laughs> and the guy like lit, lit the gas stove and like blew up the house basically. <laughs> so it was gone. And, um, and so then we were going to build a new house on the property. And I think they sold that when I was like, I'm 35 now. I think they sold it maybe when I was like 25 mm-hmm. and that f- they bought the farm when I was like a child, like teen, like a like five-year-old or something. So the house never got built. Mm-hmm. It was always, just, they poured the foundation for this house and that oh, was wow. it. And like literally like, t- you know, 20 years, no house ever got built. And it was always like, oh, well, it's going to, you know, and also like the conversation like, well, that fucking guy, if he hadn't have done that, you know, it's like all these yeah. things of like, <laughs> you got it, done it's, wrong. Just, it's like, just build the house, people. Like, what are you fucking waiting on? You know? And we would still go and we would like camp out at the farm. We would like <laughs> go to the farm, <laughs> camp, <laughs> garden for the whole weekend, had, had like the the most incredible gardens like raspberries and strawberry field like literally wild right crazy and like fishing like we would just recreation it up it was like our own camping private camping <laughs> 80 acres of private camping but no the house never got built it's just like i think the so rude. the message for me was like somebody's gonna take care of it Somebody else is going to take care of it. Somebody else needs to come in. And well, somebody take has care of to it. take care of it, right? We can't. Yeah, do I can't it. do it. Can't do it. And there's something about possible. that alcoholism. It's just um, like it can't be done. Like it just can't be done. It's it's beyond our control. Or what I really grew up in is like it's broken inherently, and it really can't be fixed. And I kind of, mm-hmm. what's the pointness of it, mm-hmm. right? Like down to the dining room mm-hmm. table chair. It's the same broken chair since when I was two. Like they can't, like, what would we do about it? Like, I don't know how to do with it. Like, I don't like this. My dad would be constantly like, I don't like this chair. I don't like the way it's positioned. I want a couch. Like my dad's been saying this for a decade. I want a couch. And then when I try to help him buy a couch, he's like, oh, it won't fit. And this and that. All the reasons why things can't work. And, and it's mm. just fascinating. Yeah. yeah. The obstacles yeah. that are put in the way there. I'm curious to hear from some of your past you know, maybe a poignant moment where, where you felt you, or when reflecting back, like where your mom or your dad, you're very clear that they, they were, Mm. they were unwilling, unable, what have you to help themselves. Mm. Mm. Gosh. Good question. Very (laughs) good question. 
you know, we sometimes are in program and we're like, wow, that moment, like that's the thing when I think about, like, I think about my parents, like getting in a fight and my dad punched a hole in a wall. And then my mother like grabbed the VCR case and like, she was like, I can punch a hole in the wall too and punch a hole in the wall. And then they patched it and then they never painted it for like 15 years. There was always a white spot. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's just like, that's what happens. That is so funny to me. That story is so funny to me. It's horrible. It's horrible. Mm-hmm. But today I'm just like, yeah, that's fucking alcoholism, isn't it? That really is. That's just sums it up. <laughs> I punched a hole. <laughs> and my mom is, they were both oh, drunk. I can, I can, do, I can it do it too. How dare I you? I can do it too. How dare you? <laughs> um, I can do it too. And then, uh, yeah, we patched. I our think, shit too. I think it was patched within four days or the next day. And never painted. That's good. Never painted ever, ever, ever again until the house got painted. Another, another one of those, mark that on that, one of those stories of it never being done, right? It is something. You know, there were moments I felt that she was power, well, okay, powerless, but there was one moment that's a little imprinted in my on my brain mm-hmm. my memory is that she was trying to control my sister and then her husband and at that time she started to get back pain and then she started taking pain pills so she was she had an addiction to that for a while and but she was on the ground crawling and asking him for help and he walked past her mm. and said quit faking this or something and mm. and i just felt like that need for take care of me that need save me someone save me Mm-hmm. I am a victim. Please help. I, I I felt like it. It just felt like the 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 look of being a victim one hundred and one. Like if you opened it up, that's the look of like I can't help myself, and um, I think that was the moment when I thought. Because I had bought into it for a really long time. And I think that was when mm. I was about 16. I was like, I, this doesn't, well, first of all, someone walking past someone, if, even if they were pretending they were in pain, was a little, uh, I see now, abusive. Uh, but I thought, this, there's something wrong with all this. And, and how... A woman that can take care of other people seemingly is in this position. Mm. So uh, how did it get to that? And how did it, how did it get to that? You know, Mm. like, so where did she put other people's, in front of herself to get to this point where she was now using 
and and compulsive behavior, but now she's into in this scenario, uh, and that to me is the disease, and uh, it was something that has been going on for a long time. I think in her, I feel like in her life, mm. but you think the root of this sense. that you're getting at? Well, it's the root for me of all this stuff, all of Al-Anon really, this actually hits to the heart of it is that it's somebody else's responsibility to take care of me. And the root to me of codependency is yes, I can't yes. live without this person, this thing, this place, yes. what have you, because that yeah. my external well-being, my being, my well-being is externalized. It has yes. to come from somewhere else. And to me, that's the heart of the program in many, many ways. And the, and my favorite takeaway, like I love my partner so much, but but I, I don't need them to survive or even technically to be happy. I would make myself happy and I would. And that's such a weird feeling coming from, you know, 40, you know, 30 years of codependency. And so mm-hmm. I think you're really getting mm-hmm. to the almost to the root of everything in a weird way here. And we were taught, I guess, because we, they weren't parented. We weren't parented in the way, yes. you know, we were taught yep. that that we um, that it was going to be an outside job. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so much of it's even the illusion enough. of, and I don't know how you feel about this, Claire, but even the illusion of the house that was gonna, that was then we were gonna be happy in there, mm. or totally, totally. So, even that yes. was gonna save the dynamic, or which is just fantasy right. and delusion, and yeah, delusion, yeah, yeah. That's sort of where yeah. you where you get into money, and I'm curious to talk about money for a minute because yeah. I do think a yeah. lot of people think of this as a money tradition, and yes, and money money is a big part of our program, actually, in a in a way it that is. we don't think about, but it is it is in there, and I'm curious, like, you know, what your parents' relationship to money was. You're sort of alluding to it, and what your relationship to oh, more man. importantly, what your relationship to money was coming out of that dynamic. Lack. A very lack, mm. lack thinking, a deprivation. Mm. Uh, those things I didn't, I, I didn't really understand until recently that even though I had done this and done that and had, I sometimes would still feel like I'm completely in lack. And that, and, and if there was no money in the bank or a lot of money in the bank, it felt like still I feel deprived. And it now money felt like there was not a system to it. There was not a structure growing up. My stepfather was in construction and he would get like finish a job and get maybe it was like $5,000 or whatever it was and, and pay the crew. And then, but it, and then it always felt like no matter if there was a big check coming in or nothing, 
it was the same way we lived. It, it, it we still were without. We still didn't buy. We we still didn't fill up the fridge with food. It was you can mm. have one snack. Don't do anything more. Uh, even when I thought that there was some sort of financial stability, possibly there was a thing of still trying to cut corners on Mm -hmm. say you're under age. So we get a little discount, you know, (laughs) it was, Mm -hmm. I'm I'm, going to out them, you know, and is like, (laughs) and uh, get her, get her, we'll, we'll buy one Coke and we'll all drink it and we'll just ask for refills. Mm-hmm. I, you know, why? And, and that sort of feeling of there's not enough to go around. There's not enough to go around. And sometimes I wanted a Coke and I didn't say I wanted a Coke because I was like, well, you know, uh, just the wheeling and the dealing of it all. It, it felt so complicated. Money felt complicated. It didn't feel like an easy thing that came in through your, your effort, your mm-hmm. work, your trade. Mm-hmm. It, it, something that you worked a week for, you got paid, and now you're going to be taken, you're taken care of. It, it, and there was no, there was absolutely no spirituality. Mm. And I'll say definitely with that. And um, so there was just never felt secure. And I bring that up because I've had people that really love me in my life that tell me, Devana, you are supported. You are okay. Things are going to work out. And that's hard sometimes. It's gotten a lot easier. Mm. I've gotten a lot easier. And there's some unknowns for my life right now. And if this would have happened to me 10 years ago, oh, I don't know where I would be. I definitely know that. I do not know where I would be. Mm-hmm. And to have faith and, and feel that I'm supported. And because that sense of that everything's going to be okay, never, it didn't feel that way. Even, like I said, if money was coming in or money was not mm-hmm. there, it always felt the same way. It always felt like, we're in lack. We can't enjoy the full experience. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. I especially love the the idea of applying easy does it to money. Mm. I think I think it's a thing, uh, an area ah. that most people hold out. <laughs> Even in program, yes, I hear people do. holding they out do. to the very end, if ever. Yep. Around easy does it like. Maybe because it has to come from "quote unquote" labor, often. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love the idea that that money could be easy, does it too? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that was my getting current, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I heard that. Literally, yeah. literally, I was just like, 
uncomfortable because that wasn't how I grew up. Like it can't, like no way can you just make more money yeah. uh, and just say, I go, I want more money for that, <laughs> you know? And like, and why, right? Because like, I just uh, loving everything you were saying, Vaughn, like around the scarcity mentality, right? Yeah. Of, of it. Like Smart. no matter what you have, like it won't be, it's, it's always going to be like, just not enough, yes. you know? Um, and that's just something that I regularly today look at for myself because I look, I am, I will just be rigorously honest because I think the only reason I wouldn't share this would be out of like concern of what other people think of me. Mm-hmm. But like, I'm someone who lives technically almost paycheck to paycheck, right? Almost. Um, and I'm like a little up moving out of that. Um, but I don't save a lot of money. I don't, I have a car payment. I've almost paid off my car. Like I'm like, these are just the facts, right? Like I've Mm -hmm. paid off two other car payments, like over the course of my life, which is very cool. I paid off all my student loans, which is very cool. Um, I like buy stuff I want to buy. So like cool. I could put that money into savings, but I don't, you know, like I got new shoes cause I want to start running again. I got new shoes, you know, like I do, I buy stuff. I go on trips. I could be saving more. I really could be saving more. Um, I wouldn't say I live with like outside of my means, pay my bills on time for the most part. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes I'm like, oh, shit, I forgot to pay the phone bill. And then I go pay it. I could put it on auto pay, but I don't want to do that because that's terrifying to me because I don't. I'm like, but what if I don't have the money in my bank? It's giving them control. I'm like, no, I need to say when, even if it's late, even if I have a late payment. Uh, Same. You know, it's so interesting. And, um, And like... I know I have jobs booked out that are like coming in, but like they're not bid yet. Like they don't, I don't know what that actual financial amount will be coming in at. Like, I don't know the actual dollar amount. Right. And I wasn't taught how to budget because I was taught like money is scary just by the way that my family handled it, you know, like, but I was also taught like, cause my dad would just like go buy a classic car to restore and bring it home. Like he would just come home in a T-bird that was going to get, rest- that was going to sit in the driveway is what was going to happen to it. It was never going to get restored <laughs> in his mind. Yeah. He was going to bring it home and restore it, you know? And, um, that was like his hobby. He really loved and, you know, but never, but like, what is a hobby that you're not actually participating in, you know? Because again, out of scarcity, he probably bought it and then like maybe felt bad that he spent that money on that. My mom wasn't like mad at him for doing it either. She also like they met drag racing. So like, what do you want? You know, and so he <laughs> he would bring it, you know, but that was the thing. It was like, well, but if you want a thing and you want it enough, just go buy it. You know, just go get it. That's all. Just do it. You only live once. And it's just like, OK. Yeah. Like completely contradictory of like, you know of the day to day. And I really didn't like being beholden to other people's money. So really early I've employed myself. Like I had a 
lawnmowing business when I was 10 and that I've talked about, I think on this, so I won't go into it, but it was great. And I made a lot of money like as a fucking 10 year old. And I always had money. I've always Mm. been financially self-supporting. And then I would also support partners and Mm. I would support friends and I would be the one that would just go and like, you know, buy everybody dinner. Um, not for fun and for free a lot of times. And I think that was like because I wanted to feel like like the the opposite of what I felt growing up, which was like, well, I don't, you know, we we shouldn't, we should just have, we can make really good Italian food, which is true. My family is, they're incredible cooks. So it was like, we didn't eat out, hardly ever ate out. It was like, well, our food's better anyway. Our food's better anyway. And it's just like, is it? But then I have experiences like where I went out to Italian last night with my partner and I was like, oh, I just want to take you out to dinner, babe. Like, let's celebrate how like like we're doing so well in our relationship together, like being these, and it was not very good. It was not very good. We were like co-racking up. She was like, did they just like take some Trader Joe's mozzarella and like tear it apart with their hands for this caprese salad? And we're like co-racking up making jokes about like what was maybe happening in the kitchen. But then I started to feel like, oh, I shouldn't have spent this money. I shouldn't have spent like 80 bucks on dinner for us tonight because like I could have just made us a better Italian meal, you know, um, that's the, that is from my upbringing that yeah. like I wouldn't get the $70 back. Like I'm not, like I can't earn that back. Like what, what is, you know, what is that attached not, to that? Yeah, it's like this was the, about the, the wrong choice. Yeah. Well, exactly. Well, I think if um, it never happened, if the house never got built then the reality is it feels like, I mean, for for that way of life, it literally was mm-hmm. over. Like for my mother, like, yeah, my brother died and there was no recovery. Like you can't ever get over it. Yeah. It was mm-hmm. her reality. Mm-hmm. So it was true. So to me, like you couldn't recover from loss, but yeah, money was something for in our lives that, that came in a lot and, and then sometimes not as much, but for the most part, we just saw, there was always just more money. To me, I always had the sense that you could always just go get more money. But what's fascinating because I'm sort of different. I, I have a lot more money. I made a lot of money since I was really young. And yet still, mm-hmm. the moment that the spigot turns off, mm-hmm. I'm in the exact same place yeah. Yeah. that you guys yeah. are talking about. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. and, okay. it's, and it's like the, the ability to earn money is still there. But it's like, oh, what about, what about right now? And I have money in the yeah. bank and I own a house and all that. But still, it's all in, it doesn't matter to your original point. It doesn't matter how much money you yeah. have because there's, no, there's faith that there'll never be more. Yeah. Or sense that there'll never be more. I had this one thought of this one thing that kept, came up that felt very strong to what we're talking about is there was, in my experience, there was no clarity around money there was no clarity so if there yes 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 either Mm -hmm. was or what there was no we didn't talk about it that it was almost like even if we got a check we didn't want anyone to know because maybe like Mm -hmm. so something like it it, Mm -hmm. so no I mean they didn't say that to me it's just the feeling that Mm -hmm. my mom kind of like uh you couldn't read if she had something or not. And a lot of things that have come up with me is, and with anxiety and panic and all the, the things that 
the isms of it is when I get clear on what is, when I get more clarity, it's like it dissipates because Mm -hmm. I didn't realize that I, there was as much as we wanted more money, there was a fear of it. Uh, Like not of, but like, if we had it or we did it just, there wasn't a good relationship with it. It, it was, um, and now I see that it is a bit of a, a, a relationship to what you have in the bank, what you, you know, just like an awareness and, hope that's making sense on it, that. It but. is. I'm hearing what I hear is that is vagueness, right? Like yes, vagueness right. is such vagueness. a pro- feels yes. like it's going to protect you from money. Yeah. If we can stay right. in the vagueness, right. it's neither in the bank or not in the bank. We're in the vagueness. So we don't yes. have to face the reality yeah. one way or the other. Mm-hmm. And, and I think this yeah. happens a lot in relationships too. Like you want to be in the vagueness. So they're neither leaving, they neither love you nor hate you, or they're neither leaving nor staying. Like you get to stay in that vagueness, but with money, you know, I do think that that people like to go to that vagueness. And really, when we say gather all the facts, like money is just a fact. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. a, yeah. it's a fact. Yeah. You can put an Excel in and it's there or it's not there. It has nothing to do with you as a person, Truly. nothing yeah. to do with yeah. society. Like it's either there yeah. or it's not. And so yeah. it's one of the few places that actually would be easiest to do fact-based thinking around, <laughs> right? Like, cause you could create an Excel sheet. <laughs> Weirdly, right? But yes. we have all these feelings. Knowledge-based, Knowledge-based decision-making can be, used, can be used literally if you want Whereas, on this like, one. Whereas with your yeah. relationship, it might be more nuanced. Like, are they being nice? Are they being cool? Whatever. You would, you can, you can, mm-hmm. it's harder, I think, to go there for some people. But this is something that actually could be done easier. And it is something I feel like people have a harder time with, frankly, than yes. relationships in this program. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. I think because of possibly in the in alcoholism, there's a lot of not really good relationships around money, whether your dad was a gambler or he didn't earn anything, you know, whatever it was the case or, but, or he handled everything in it or, but that, and also because I feel that a lot of the deep root for this is shame. Mm. The shame we felt or I felt by what was externalized, like where we lived or what we had or the shame of it. So somewhere it's like, it's almost like, I had to stop taking money personally because it's not a reflection of who I am. If I have this amount of money or that, I'm still a lovely person. I hope, you know, (laughs) but you know, I'm still, it doesn't, it doesn't change who I, but somewhere it, I did think it was a part of who we were. Mm-hmm. If that makes any sense. Identity. Yeah. The identity around it. Mm-hmm. And if you can separate it and just, yeah, if you, if you were a reasonable person to put it on an Excel spreadsheet, instead of being like, 
<laughs> this is saying so much about me. This is this is this is obviously a reflection of who I am as a person. Mm. Yeah. I think so. I think so. And I mean, that rings true for me. And I think also the vagueness allowed me for a long time to you know, if I didn't know, then I didn't have to be X, Y, Z. Yeah. If I didn't know, then I didn't have to be depressed that I made whatever I was making Mm. and feeling bad about myself. It's all, this is all the reflection, right? It's like, if I didn't know, then I could just buy that thing. Yeah. Because who's going to tell me not to? Because Mm -hmm. I can be very arrogant, smug, self-righteous and dominating, you know, and it's like, I didn't like breaking out of the control and scarcity around money and finances as a kid. It was like, you know, which was part of why I worked so early. It was like, mm-hmm. well, I don't want to fucking ask you for 20 bucks to go to the fucking movie because that's where I want to spend my money. So like, I'm going to go make the money and then you can't tell me what to do mm-hmm. with it, you know. That's what I did. But the, but yeah. the, the like, it took me a very long time though to create, which I, I do feel like today I have a really – really healthy and constantly expanding, growing, healthier relationship to my finances and how I use them, right? Like I use money today as a tool instead mm-hmm. of being in fear of it. And, um, but that fear was really like, I wasn't in, you know, I believe if I'm in fear, I'm not in faith, you know, and there's no faith in vagueness. There's faith in clarity, Right. And our disease, like the disease of alcoholism, the disease of fill in the blank that's related to any 12 step or related to any dysfunction that we see in 12 step, because I believe they're really all the same. I do. I mean, I believe they all come down to a core same place. So like, sorry if this is offensive to anyone out there, but me as an Al-Anon, I do believe that I have the same disease as the alcoholic. I believe I have the same disease as the person in slaw or the person in OA. Like it's all the same thing at the very end of the day. I don't have the compulsion to do certain things that other people do. That's how I'm different. But I still have a compulsion to like my compulsions to direct, manage and control to the point that it fucks up my entire life. Like same fucking shit. I mean, and you can't see that I'm doing it and it's invisible. It's like even worse in my opinion. At least you can see someone's like drinking. You can't see that I'm doing it until you, it's fucking fucked up, you know. But anyway, so mm-hmm. – um, the point of that was is that the diseases, right, are all about vagueness. Like yeah. the diseases are all about isolation yeah. and vagueness. That's what they want to do. Like the disease wants to get me. I also don't believe that the diseases have their own like consciousness, but it's easier for me to separate <laughs> it. When I talk about it that way, it's easier for me to identify it and look yeah. at it. So that's why I put it into those terms. You know, it's like when I go, oh, yeah, my disease wants to isolate me. Keep me in Vegas. Yes, small. And keep me away. It's yeah. tiny. And keep yeah. me away from other people so that we can stay tiny mm-hmm. because it thinks that I will be safe. That yeah. part of me thinks that there's security in that mm-hmm. because my upbringing was so chaotic mm-hmm. that if I get small enough, I'll be able to be 
control enough to be safe. So when I don't look at my finances, right, it keeps me small. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Keeps me small because yeah. then I don't have to go, well, what if I have 20 grand, yeah. like just in the bank? Then what will I do? I don't know how to do that perfectly. I don't know how to spend that perfectly. I don't know how to invest that perfectly. I don't know how to even believe that I'm worth that much that I could just go buy groceries wherever and like, or that I could sustain it. Well, if I have it now, then like, how will I keep it coming in? And then I'll have to lose all the things that I got. Like, that's where it all goes when Mm -hmm. I let it go there. Mm -hmm. But if I'm in just for today, you know, it's like, oh, fuck, I'm set. And some days I'm not, you know, sometimes it doesn't (laughs) seem that way, but it really, I really always am, you know, I really always am set. It's like, because I don't need to know what happens tomorrow. I've had many times in my life where I didn't have hardly anything in the bank, like, like, like dollars or like $50 or whatever. And it's like, my higher power always showed up, you know, it's like, the more that I get available for what my higher power is trying to do for me, the less I experience that anyway, the more I'm experiencing quoting people 30% more than I normally do. And they're like, can't wait to have you. Can't wait to pay you a bunch of money. I'm like, fucking great. You know? And it's easy. It is easy. Does it like all that felt really easy. It's hard Mm. for me to manipulate someone. It's hard for me to show up and be like, I'm not worthy. Like that is exhausting. It's exhausting. Well, and your point about all the diseases being the same is this root of self-sustaining, right? Because if you're OA, probably you feel like you're never going to eat again or you're eating for pleasure mm-hmm. or whatever. I mean, you know, if you feel like you're in slaw, there's never going to be another relationship, yeah. no more sex, no more love, whatever. So to me, this is, yeah, it is really um, like this. If you were self-sustaining, you would believe that there's plenty of love and plenty of food mm-hmm. and plenty of money mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and all that. Mm-hmm. So it is actually a very pertinent. Um, are you going to read something, Claire? Oh gosh. Yeah. What about that time? About that time. We are at that we are at that time. Uh, also I had a vote well, that the um the we changed the podcast the name of this episode to The House Was Never Built. <laughs> the House Was Never oh Built. Oh my god. Yes. <laughs> I am it's going in. It's going in parenthetical. Done. Fully self-sustaining parentheses. The house that was never built. The house that yes. the house was never built. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. All right, that's that's I'm dying. You might have you might have opened up my brain for all future ones. I, I kind of like them all having a thing in there. Yeah, it's definitely <laughs> more compelling when you look at the Apple yeah. I'm like, whatever. what is like, this what is about? about? Yeah, yeah. Devana, you contributed, you and now we're going to be fully self sustaining of your ideas. Love it. I'm, you know, I'm, I love I, it. When I realize I've got some things to contribute, <laughs> you do. You do. You do. Yes. Yeah. Well, speaking of contributions, I'm going to read the seventh tradition. <laughs> Full circle. Um, yes. This is from Past to Recovery, Al-Anon Steps, Traditions, and Concepts. This is uh, Al-Anon approved, conference approved literature on page 193 in this edition. Tradition seven, every group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. 
We as Al-Anon members provide the sole financial support of our Al-Anon groups. The only requirement for membership in Al-Anon is to have been affected by the disease of alcoholism in a friend or relative. The only requirement for any contributor to Al-Anon is to be a member. With sufficient membership contributions, Al-Anon will always be there for families and friends of alcoholics. This tradition, although it speaks directly to individuals and the group, in fact speaks to the entire fellowship. Little is asked of us as newcomers. We are welcoming. We are welcomed without obligation to a group with no dues or fees. When the group treasurer passes the basket, it is explained that contributions are voluntary. We are encouraged to take some time for ourselves before trying to take on part of the group function. Eventually, we need to participate, to work the steps, and to add our voice and resources to the group in order to continue our recovery. As individuals, we come to believe that to keep Al-Anon functioning and available, our group has to take care of its own needs. When we take care of our financial needs, we are free to run our fellowship exactly as we wish. There are no benefactors who can dictate or even influence our policies by threatening to withdraw resources. There are no no dues or fees, but there are financial responsibilities. We choose to accept the responsibility to pay our own way with our voluntary contributions. Thus, Al-Anon's independence and continued availability depends on us. Each group has expenses such as rent, group literature, refreshments, a post office box, or the cost of sending its group representatives to district and area meetings. Some of us believe that satisfying these group expenses means we are fully self-supporting. We're contributing to keeping one meeting available, and that is significant. However, as members of a worldwide fellowship, we eventually discover how vast our community really is and how important the services are that we sometimes take for granted. The groups are the foundation of Al-Anon and have the final say in the fellowship, but a group can have no say unless its participants unless it participates and sends a voice through an elected group representative. As in any family, there is more to support than just bringing home the paycheck. There are dishes to be done, beds to be made. We support our groups by volunteering to serve as chairpersons or secretaries or bringing coffee, by setting up chairs, by serving as group representatives, or by taking on any other job. We also carry the message by volunteering in our information services offices or by speaking about Al-Anon at other organizations or institutions. We sponsor other members and practice the 12 steps whenever an opportunity presents itself. If we don't have much money, there is still much we can contribute in time and energy. Groups can languish as quickly from unfilled service positions as from lack of money. Conversely, it is unhealthy for the group to let a few members do everything. The volunteers are likely to feel overwhelmed and unappreciated, while those not involved feel left out and discounted. When we volunteer, we enhance our own program, bound with the group, and raise our self-esteem through useful labor. Balance is the key. Mm-hmm. And I'll just stop there. There's a lot more for this. Yeah. Well, yeah, we'll stop there. But I think that, that that really covers a lot of it. You know, it's like. It's something we didn't talk about today, actually. I mean, it's coming up around, but, you know, I heard self-esteem. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. 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 
That's this, a big thing. This mm-hmm. really, I mean, you were hinting at Devana that, you know, it means what it means about you to have this in the bank or not in the bank, but really mm-hmm. when we're self-supporting the self-esteem that comes from that. Yes. Yes. It's a big thing. Big thing. Yeah. And the self-esteem in this, in that reading related to being self-supporting had nothing to do with financial contribution. No. Just saying. It's like how, I mean, and I guess maybe this might be a question, a good question to maybe wrap this episode on, but I would love to hear some ways that each of you have felt self-esteem. You know, we I've taught through my uh, sponsorship that we build self-esteem through um, esteemable acts. Wow, mm-hmm. I lost mm-hmm. the sentence there. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you know, and then and then my experience in that is that once I built, when I have built my self-esteem through esteemable acts and related to financial income, that feels easier and freer. And you know, I don't worry about my worth. A lot of times, my self-worth related to the what I'm doing that provides financial income can be related and really like hinder me, you know, when I don't feel worthy of the work I'm doing, or I don't feel smart enough or strong enough or good enough or whatever enough or confident, you know, I think I'm going to fuck it all up or whatever. Uh, a lot of times like that job doesn't usually go that great. <laughs> and it's really like, because I have this internalized thing of scarcity again it's scarcity that's Mm -hmm. like then showing up financially right um so the question is have you or can you share an esteemable act that then maybe helped contribute to you feeling more self-esteem that then maybe could be related to you earning easily and freely i totally totally i think about when i first came into the rooms And uh, my self-esteem was so, 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 so low and deep unworthiness issues. And I remember I took a commitment. I just, Mm. I remember just, I think I was like a greeter. It was like the first thing. And just saying hi and, and someone goes, oh, you're, you know, you're so friendly and you have such a good smile and I, you're so bright and, and light. And I love coming and see just someone, me being seen and, and that confidence of like, Oh, so it makes people feel good when I like do something and I'm not invisible because my thought was like, I mean, if I didn't show up this week, no one would notice. And doing those things. Mm-hmm. And I worked at a restaurant. And if the nights I weren't there, some people would say, oh, we really missed you being here. You have such a fun inner, you know, those things to just say that it, it was just these small things. Because I was the girl growing up that thought, well, I won't go to the party because no one will know I'm not like mm. not there. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't feel like mm-hmm. I was ever gonna. Mm-hmm. I, I had mm-hmm. I had value to any organization, any value to any thing. And mm-hmm. anyway, mm-hmm. It, it did actually begin for me in believe it or not in the rooms, and I, I did join a 
theater community around the same time. And that was a big deal too, but yeah. Mm, greeter is such a good position we were just talking about it on another pod (laughs) really Um, the greeter is the most important position was the opinion of that guest um my goodness yeah um for me i guess i mean an al-anon example would be you know taking on a sponsee Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. the person you know called me for outreach and then called me and was like would you be willing to do this and i think at that phase of my recovery to think that I had enough recovery to offer anybody anything was, yes. you know, cause I yeah. was struggling, <laughs> but I yeah. wasn't struggling as much as this person was. Yeah. I was a little bit better than them. I was a little bit further ahead in the program of, than they were. Yeah. And, um, you know, we're never sick at the same time. And, you know, I was, mm. I was further down the path. So I actually could offer them a lot of recovery around what it's like to be, first working with a sponsor and pre-step one, right? You know, I was on step four, let's say. And um, and that was, that really gave me self-esteem to to feel like I belong, like that I had something to offer in this program. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's something to offer. Claire, do you want to wrap this up? What's your steamable act? Oh, sure. Um... I thought I was going to get out of that one. I don't do anything <laughs> that brings self-esteem. Yeah, you're kind of, uh, uh, you're kind of uh, <laughs> I don't think I come up with a word, but. Selfish? I yeah, don't. you're selfish. Um, you're very selfish. Super, self- super selfish. That's why we're doing this selfish. pod right now. Well, yeah, because I care what other people think of me. And if I could just be the star of, a, of an Al-Anon. Yeah, then you'd have pod, all the recovery. You know, if I could make it. If I could change it from non-professional to professional. Um, (laughs) uh, Yeah, an esteemable act. I'm really kind of reaching for something that, you know, I learned esteemable acts through program in a way that I didn't know existed. I'm trying to think of then how I've taken that outside of program and like used that concept, you know. And I guess I would say like – it can be so simple. Like it can be as simple as like <sighs> taking a friend to a, a an appointment, mm-hmm. right? That like, yeah. Oh, like, a, can you take me to a doctor's appointment? Mm-hmm. You know, um, or I mean, fuck, you know, I um, last year during all the riots and during all of the protesting, I went to a lot of stuff. I went to a lot of stuff and I couldn't go right away and I felt really shitty about it. I felt like really shitty that I couldn't go all the time. I wasn't able to like emotionally show up for that all the time. And then I was like, oh, I can go now. And like, it's like, it's time for other people to go sit on the bench and it's time for me to get up and go. And I was just on the bench waiting to go for when it was my time when I was like ready to be able to go do that and that for nothing for nothing I had no expectation of receiving anything but to go and just be of service and just showing up showing up somewhere where maybe somebody else seeing me might feel 
you know, almost like a greeter in the same concept in a way, right? Like somebody might receive my presence and feel better or feel supported or know that they're not alone. You know, that's really, I think, the end all be all of being of service. Like when we show up to be, and I, and I try and show up and be of service everything that I do now, you know, am I being of service? When I go to work, what's my job? To be of service. Like that's it. Mm -hmm. It is not my job to go earn money. It is not my job to go tell people what to do. Although that is part of my job description. It isn't, but it, my job is just to be of service. So like when I think about that, how am I being of service? You know, it's like, oh, how am I being of service to my client? Oh, like I'm communicating clearly with them. Uh, I'm, I'm negotiating, like I'm being kind, like I'm being light and polite, you know, like these are all ways that I can be of service. And, um, it does bring esteem to me because, Mm -hmm. because I'm not, it's like, God, please remove me of all self-serving acts. Right. Like I'm not in my will. I'm not trying to force it to be anything. Like that's when I have the most self-esteem is when I'm just in God's grace, you know? Um, and then it just shows up in all my affairs. It just comes back like tenfold in all my affairs and I don't do anything. God does it. I literally don't. Any success I have is not because I like made it happen. It's because I showed up to be of service. Truly. I don't know. It's it's that simple for me. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Devana. And I've got so much out of your share. Thank you, guys. It's such a such it a so great. Appreciate it was it. such a pleasure. Well, nice um, to meet you. Keep coming back. Can yes. We, can we? All, we can all say it together. Ready? Yes. We're ne- are we ever going to get this? No, we're, we're, we're never nailing this. I know. We're never going to, we're never getting, we're never nailing it. Everybody's like turned it off by this point anyway. They're like, oh, now they're going to buff up. The- <laughs> <laughs> this is where they gonna- blow that part. Like when I do I that thing again. Yeah. All right. We're going to do it. Okay. Okay. All right. Keep what are we come, doing? Oh, keep coming And you're worth it. And you're worth it. And you're worth it. I know. We didn't tell them what we're doing anyway. Thanks. This so podcast is produced by Claire and Corey. Original music by Austin Bunn. Original Crosstalk logo by Jonathan Grant. Special thanks to our awesome editor, Joe. And thanks to all of our listeners. Keep coming back. <laughs>